0: Are you passionate about health and nutrition? Then check out the Nutrition Academy. They offer the most comprehensive, innovative, and transparent health and nutrition educational resource on the planet. They strive to separate health misinformation from reality. They give their students the resources and skill sets to think critically about what they read and learn. So you can use the power of research to make better decisions for yourself, your family, and the people you serve. The Nutrition Academy have kindly offered all listeners a discount for this course. So you are able to try it out for yourself with a saving of $50. Just use the code TNN50 at thenutrition.academy or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to The Real Food Reel. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast, and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In today's episode of The Real Food Reel, we are joined by Audra Starkey, a clinically trained nutritionist helping shift workers to improve their health through better sleep, nutrition, and workplace wellness programs. Author of Too Tired to Cook, The Shift Worker's Guide to Working and Surviving in a 24-7 World, Audra shares with us the most important thing when it comes to improving the health of shift workers. And answers the question, can shift workers be healthy? Audra is a wealth of knowledge, and you will learn so much about health and wellness, regardless of what your unique work situation is. Hi, Audra, and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Steph. Thank you very much for having me.
0: You're most welcome. I'd love to set the scene today to to, for you to tell us a little bit about your story, and certainly how you got to where you are today
1: uh yeah sure it's um i think it's always a strange one to kind of answer that question isn't it We, we just kind of drift through life and we kind of arrive where we are um but basically uh I suppose I have a background in shift work, and I spent two decades working shift work myself um, in the aviation industry. So, as ground staff, working for various different airlines over the years, including uh, Ansett, I'm going to show my age here, Mm -hmm. uh, and most recently, uh, Qantas. And I struggled, to be quite honest, uh, working shift work for that long uh, in various different ways um, with my health. And, uh, you know, I just kind of basically did the best that I could under the circumstances. Uh, But what kind of sort of frustrated me, I suppose, is that at no point, even throughout those two decades, was I ever taught or given any guidance or tips or education on how to actually take care of my health whilst working 24-7, which we think about it is quite ludicrous because... (laughs) That's what our job is all about. When we sign up to become, whether it's a paramedic, a nurse, a doctor, uh, you know, there's there's nearly two million Australians um, alone that work shift work. You would think that because uh, it's a big part of what we do, uh, we should be given some education around, uh, you know, some of the health challenges. Because let's be honest, there's there's certainly plenty of them. And and I suppose as things kind of evolved over time, of me struggling and. I ended up um, deciding to go back um, and study a nutritional medicine degree uh, because I had a bit of an epiphany epiphany moment one day when I was delivering a training uh, session for some clients, um, sorry, for some um, fellow work colleagues. Um, in my workplace and i had a lady um come running in late into the classroom she's one of those people that is quite bright and bubbly and you can sort of hear them before you see them coming i'm sure you probably work with with someone like that um as well beautiful person but she came into the classroom and she sat down in the back and in, in her hand was a hamburger diner and soft drink but it was only 9 a.m mm. And I just, you know, because she's so funny and you can muck around with her and everything, and I just kind of just, you know, very very tactfully said, you know, that's an interesting choice for breakfast. And her response to me was, I've been up since 4am and I'm in need of some sustenance. And I thought, there's something wrong with that sentence. A hamburger, donut, and soft drink and sustenance (laughs) kind of doesn't, um, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So it really it kind of set me down the path to go, you know what, like this I love my training job when I was working at Qantas. It's one of the best jobs I've ever had. But deep down I knew that what they needed most was, you know, some education on how to take care of our health and, and some of the ramifications of what poor sleep um, is doing um, to our health and, and why eating at all these irregular times and everything can impact on that. So kind of a bit of a long-winded um, answer to your question, Steph, but it's, yeah, basically kind of set me down the path uh, because it's a personal thing. I know how incredibly hard it is um, and I also, um, I guess, endured a lot of um, when I went to go and find help and everything, all their response I was kind of getting was to just quit the job, which is not kind of helpful. Mm. So I thought, well, someone's got to do it and, um, yeah, I just started to just study still whilst working shift work and until I could gradually... Um, took a redundancy so I could finish it and go full-time and yeah, it basically got me to where I am today. I think it's incredible
0: because we all hear those stats, you know, it's a common conversation at least in my world these days that, you know, shift work, you know, takes 10 years off your life or increases your risk of certain lifestyle diseases by 20 or 25 percent and, you know, we're having this conversation but like you said, there's just this missing piece, a lack of education Mm -hmm. to those that are looking at, uh, you know, a life of shift work as to how they can look after themselves in the best way possible and offset some of these stats that we keep hearing about. So, you know, I love that you've done that because you obviously realized that no one else was doing it and um, that there is a way to make the work that you do not impact your health so significantly.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly, Steph. I'm just trying to, I guess, give people some hope um, because if we rely so heavily on shift workers, if we, if the hospitals were to close at 5 p.m., um, you know, and, and you somebody you desperately needed to get in contact, and we had an emergency. Well, that's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, it it is. It's an industry. It's a world that we live in. Everything is, is very much 10 24 seven. But I know that. A lot of when I've just because I've only ever seen shift working clients, that's all my focus has ever been. There was always this, as you said, that they're coming in with these chronic health conditions, you know, metabolic um, syndrome, you know, gut issues, cardiovascular disease, a lot of um, insulin resistance and mental health problems, and everything like that. But if I guess I wanted to reverse engineer things a little bit and go, well, Okay, we know that the sleep disruption and then we know that the poor nutrition is a big part of this, so what can we do to help these people so that to be honest, so that they're not having to come and see me and a lot of that is it's that missing link because i've I've found that and this this might sound like it's coming from an ego but it's not really what I wanted to kind of portray is that I have literally lost count of how many people have come up to me now after delivering my Healthy Shipworker seminars is, Audra, where were you when I needed you 20 years ago? Or a lady even said to me, where were you when I needed you 40 years ago? Because there is this huge, as you said, it's a huge, huge gap in the market where people are not being given the education to take care um, of their health and wellbeing and it comes back from basic education so that we can inspire and empower people to take better care of their health um, so that they don't develop some of these chronic health conditions.
0: Mm. and yeah unfortunate for those that have been doing their jobs for decades like those ladies you mentioned but what's really exciting is they can start to make changes now and then of course with the younger generations coming through into those really important jobs that we absolutely need to have running 24-7 they're not going to be burnt out in you know five to ten years or trying to like reverse all these health issues they're going to be in front so i love that because you know it's much harder i think to well it is to to undo say 40 years of habits or 20 years of, of choices that's going to be more difficult than knowing what to do from the moment you enter that career
1: absolutely yeah prevention is is always better and uh Uh, You know what I think they say. um, You know, it's way easier to um, you know prevent a health condition than it is to reverse one. Just like you said. Hmm. So
0: let's talk about um, yeah, like the the, those stats that I mentioned and and how we hear that shift work can have such a negative impact on your lifespan. What are your thoughts on that? And um, you know, can we also answer the question: Can shift workers be healthy?
1: Yeah, well, it, it it really is a bit of a million dollar question, isn't it? Because just the word shift work, people automatically think, oh, poor health, you know, immediately. And and I guess first and foremost, yes, I do believe shift workers can be healthy, but of course, it's not as quite as simple as that. It's can be quite complicated. And I really do think that it comes under uh, two main areas. Number one is that it really does come down um, to the employer itself and and how forthcoming they are at wanting to um, bring in training and education around their their staff and whether they really do care enough about their staff to want to invest in uh, good health and wellbeing programs. And I know of plenty of organisations that are and they're starting uh, or at least at the beginning (laughs) to come on board with it um, more so than they were, you know, 20 years ago when I was kind of around. They're they're starting to kind of understand the importance of it But also no shift working job, though, is the same, which kind of does make it a bit difficult. I mean, I've worked with nurses that that, might work in Queensland, but their work conditions are very different to what they might be in uh, New South Wales or WA with different type turnarounds, which really does restrict uh, or make it um, very hard to get that sleep recovery. Mm. Uh, So it's really kind of, yeah, it's really kind of coming down. And, again, I guess I'm just trying to bring that awareness to it's not just about fatigue. When we talk about shift work, it is it involves way more, uh, way, way uh, more than that. So it's having um, the employer... So I think it's a 50-50% responsibility. It comes down to the employer, um, you know, giving the, uh, making sure that staff have sufficient opportunity to be able to sleep and to recover and to have minimal uh, erratic uh, shift changes. I, I remember myself, I think I had one week, Steph, where I think I had six different start times. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Um, and then the second thing really comes down to, uh, of course, is the individual itself. It's really easy to kind of sit back and kind of just play kind of work and you know and everything and you know while with me and I'm just gonna be sick doing these hours and if you have that mindset I suppose you it's yeah you are gonna set yourself up for poor health but if you understand that um, what you are doing is very much against what we have evolved to do as a human being work against our natural uh, circadian rhythms and have an understanding that your health absolutely must be your number one priority and of course it should be from a general population but I think when we work shift work it needs to take up a self-care needs to go up a whole another few notches um, because of the the hours um, that that you're kind of working so yeah it really kind of does come down to two things I definitely think it can happen um, but again it's yeah it's quite it can be a bit complicated I suppose.
0: Yeah, you're right. Like it's going to be really individual and there's obviously going to be some sort of, you know, top-level policy involved here because of mm-hmm. how the the um the rosters that are developed and all the requirements that go on behind the scenes that, you know, I certainly haven't really thought about in great detail, but um of course, yeah, looking at your own individual responsibility as a shift worker, I think is so important because That, yeah, acknowledging that you can't be a good paramedic or aviation support or whatever it might be if you're exhausted or eating donuts for breakfast or, you know, having constant back to back shifts where there's like that four to six hour turnaround or whatever the minimum time is these days. So, absolutely, it's really understanding what you can do to look after your health. And, you know, there's, yeah, it's, you've got to pour from a full cup. or the saying is you can't pour from mm-hmm. an empty cup. So really having that self-care as a priority, I absolutely love that message. So what's the most important thing, thing that you think we need to do as shift workers to improve our health?
1: Yeah, um, I just, sorry, just getting back to what you were just saying um, before as well, I think it's for a lot of those shift workers, particularly in the emergency services sectors, uh, you know, as health practitioners uh, and even I have definitely noticed in veterinarians that work kind of 24-7, a lot of health practitioners uh, are very focused on taking care of others mm. but not so much when it comes to taking care of ourselves. And, of course, if you're a shift worker, then you know, it, it magnifies it, it makes it kind of even more important. So it definitely sets us up, uh, or particularly certain occupations, sets up for, um, you know, poor health kind of going, you know, straight away if they don't acknowledge that. And and I even was talking to some veterinarians and veterinarians just recently saying, you know, or do we know the importance of optimal nutrition for animals? Like it's what we do. <laughs> but when it comes to ourselves, we, we don't sort of give it that attention. So, yeah, yeah anyway, I just wanted to sort of, I guess, shine the light in that area. Um, in regards to, you know, what's the most important thing that we need to work on, I used to think it was nutrition. Um, but now I, I realise and that for me personally anyway, I, I it's sleep because sleep is the biggest Achilles heel Mm-hmm. for shift workers, or should I say, mums? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You mums, like yourself, you know, you're the non-paid shift workers of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess though, the good, the good news is though that within hopefully months, or you know, a year or two, that that sleep deprivation disruption will pass. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of shift workers spend decades and i mean 10 20 30 40 and even 50 years doing it so um there's a bit of light light. (laughs) (laughs) hopefully my shift will will end next year (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. there's a lot at the end of the tunnel for you um but yeah but sleep because it just it just it's it forms a foundation for absolutely everything and and i like to i guess put it um if we for example, so we know that we don't, we won't last long without air. We will die. Next on that ladder, coming down, is water. We won't, we can't survive very long without water. And then next down that ladder is actually sleep. We literally uh, can't function for very too much long without sleep. And then, of course, we've got nutrition and exercise and all that kind of stuff. And the reason why, and people might listen to this podcast, um, because yes, I am a clinically trained nutritionist, I think, Audra, what the heck are you saying that you know, sleep's more important than nutrition? And the best way I can describe this um, when talking to people is that if if you were to not eat for two to three days, no doubt after that time you would feel tired, lethargic, you would no doubt lose a bit of muscle mass, probably a bit of weight, but you're going to be okay and you will be okay. If you didn't sleep for two to three days, you would barely be able to function and you'd begin to hallucinate. Yeah. That really does kind of hone in how critically important it is and why we must prioritise it. And even you would sort of think as shift workers that we would prioritise our health and a lot of them do but a lot of them don't Um, because, you know, for various different reasons too. They've got, you know, a lot of things going on. People are very, very busy. However. That Over the short term, like that sleep can you know we can push through it and we can, we can function. We all know we can function on four, three you know hours' sleep if we have to, but it 's not kind of optimal. Um, But uh, over time, is where there is just such this huge, huge connection to you know your cognitive decline, your mental health problems, your uh, as I said before, a lot of those uh, metabolic um, syndrome issues, cardiovascular disease, diabetes. We know that that food is a big, big part of that, and I'm certainly not downplaying it at all. It's connected, Um, but I agree with you.
0: I say to my clients, you know, you don't crave broccoli when you're tired, like as cliche as it can be. Like it's so true. Like when you're tired, you want an immediate fix, which is why the example you gave us is so true. Like, you know... I don't eat donuts and and soft drink, but I definitely notice that I'm I'm moving towards more carbohydrates because it's it's that simple fact that they're broken down more quickly for energy and that's what you need when you're tired and and for some people beyond exhausted. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and we know when we, we when we sleep better, we do make you know better food uh, food choices, and I suppose also that's where I was struggling when I was just starting out in clinic too, because I'm sort of t- taught about the nutrition side of things, but I'm sort of stepping back and I'm looking at these people going, you know what, they're not going to take on board anything that I have to say when they're exhausted, so I need to I need to put the Um, I felt like I was putting the cart before the horse. (laughs) So I kind of flipped things around a little bit and thought, I need to put the horse before the cart. In other words, let's focus on the sleep first because I know and you know um, we always feel better. We're a better human being when we sleep more. We make better choices. We're not as um, irritable. We just... We just do so much better if we've had enough sleep, and then when we 've had enough sleep, we're more likely to kind of have that energy to you know kind of get back in the kitchen and, and take care of our health in that way.
0: yeah, for sure. so what are your um, some of your top strategies for helping to improve sleep for shift workers?
1: Oh gosh. <laughs> um yeah that's a big question I could talk all, all day about that, <laughs> all, all day about that one um so sleep's obviously a big big one but I, I guess um with shift workers we tend to uh become dependent on starting our day with caffeine and finishing it with alcohol for a lot of different reasons um and you know we need that caffeine to kind of get us up and going in the morning or night or whatever, whatever shift they're on. But a lot of shift workers also have a lot of very stressful jobs. So they will use alcohol as a way to unwind when we get home. Now, caffeine, of course, we know, um, you know, can certainly um, disrupt our sleep. Um, it has, you um, uh, you know, it can take actually a while for the, the sort of, you know, that has a six to eight half life, you know, as in, you know, when it's actually going to be removed from the system. So I always try and I'm, I would never and never say to a shift worker to stop drinking uh, coffee. I think people would throw things at me <laughs> if I mentioned that. I <laughs> um, and I get it, you know, I kind of had it myself, but it just, just have it at the start of your shift so that it that then doesn't impact on your sleep later on um, and I know people you know I've known I've worked with people that will have four to five cups of coffee a day and they say it doesn't impact my sleep well I bet you <laughs> if we actually put them up set them up with a you know, polysphognomy i can never say the right word correctly you know um measuring our sleep there's no way all that caffeine going in your system that your nervous system is calm and you're getting good quality sleep so yeah definitely stopping the caffeine and even um i'm probably one of the only nutritionists around that would actually you know say to stop drinking caffeine at midnight <laughs> because for that reason it's just if you're on a night shift um, you know, at least stop by midnight and then um, that way it's less likely to have the, the caffeine in your system by the time you go to bed after night shift because that's critical. With the alcohol kind of um, side of thing. a lot of us use alcohol and we, we, aren't, we appreciate the connection between how it is a sed- sed- uh, sedative. It does actually make us um, relax and it does help us to fall asleep. Um, however, the quality of the sleep is uh, not good at all and that's because alcohol um, actually disrupts an area of the sleep cycle called the rapid eye movement cycle, which is really important for learning and memory. Um, so you will, not get, um, you will not get good quality sleep as, as much as you, um, you know, think that you might be horizontal, you drink your alcohol, you fall asleep on the couch Um, your sleep is not is not good at all and i think it's a real um the reality is that the quantity of sleep doesn't always happen when we work shift work because of those shift schedules so we really need to be focusing on that quality so finding our avenues to in absolutely enhance the quality of sleep and actually just reminded me i had um Uh, A lady just talking to me the other day, you know, who had a very highly refined and processed diet, you know, fairly standard for when we're shift workers. As as you said, when we're tired, we kind of seek out the energy food, which is obviously a lot of the processed and refined uh, carbohydrates. But when she actually switched over time, it wasn't an overnight thing, but switched, excuse me, more to whole foods, she said she is now sleeping so much better after night shift and even not even waking up after eight hours since she swapped her diet.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's so significant, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so it goes to show it can be done. You know, I hear so often that, you know, night shift, we, can, we can't sleep during the day and I get it. I know it's hard. We've got the mower man next door, the postman, um, you know, there's, there's light outside, there's noise and there is so much of that external stimulation But let's start looking at your diet then too because we know a diet that is very low in fibre and vitamins and minerals, um, it's going to, your body is not going to be able to um, produce certain hormones and neurotransmitters that are necessary to keep your body calm. And in order to be able to sleep and sleep well, we must be relaxed. So if our diet is predominantly caffeine, alcohol, highly refined, processed foods with minimal fibre, it's going to be near impossible to be able to sleep well. And again, it goes back to that individual responsibility of really wanting to prioritise your health. Like there's no tomorrow and it's not easy. It takes hard work. But when you understand what's going on with your body and how it functions or how it doesn't function at certain times of the day um, and focusing on that sleep, it really does help you to kind of make um, better choices and decisions just like um, this lady I was mentioning before.
0: Yeah. For sure. And so, just with your work as a clinical nutritionist, like I'd love to get a bit more of an understanding as to how you approach the food side of things. Because obviously, like you said about your recommendations around caffeine, it's probably a little bit less conventional or, you know, quite different to what. Other practitioners might be recommending, but I don't have a problem with that because I think you're really talking to your audience and you know firsthand how different the world is when you're awake and working at those times of the night. So you're not trying to get someone to stop caffeine before three or before midday like some of the more um, standard recommendations are for those that aren't working in shift work. So then... Yeah, what do you do from a food point of view? Is is there anything that you can think of that's really quite specific then to a shift worker?
1: Uh, Yeah, for sure. And I suppose we're going to get onto the topic of chrononutrition shortly, um, but it really comes down to um, food. food, I just, from um, an example of just food timing, uh, because we know that there is definitely a lot of focus on, on what we eat and it's definitely definitely very relevant um, because of just what I just spoke about before. But food timing um, is probably yeah, just as important, if not more so, specifically um, for shift workers. So chrononutrition itself... Um, is basically a term um, that form comes under the banner of chronobiology, which is an area of science which is all about timing. Uh, the term chrononutrition was termed originally um, by a French doctor back in 1986 by the name of Dr. Alan Delavoye. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly. Um, but it's based around the principles of our biology, biological clock. So we need to appreciate and understand that we have... Um, Clocks in pretty much every tissue, cell, and organ in our whole body. So we are. So I'd like to keep it very simple. when I explain things, to imagine yourself as a walking clock, because that is exactly what we are. Now, the thing is, is that because of that, certain things and um, you know functions, hormones, and so forth are designed to happen at certain times of the day or night. So if you work during the day like most of the general population, you know, a lot of this may not um you know be quite as relevant because you eat during predominantly during the daylight hours which is what we what we really want to do. But for a lot of shift workers because we work 24/7 staff, we tend to eat 24/7. We get caught in this trap and it's because it's well it's a survival mechanism we don't know what we're meant to be doing. We're managing it the best way. No one's taught us how we're meant to be doing this the correct way. So we just do it um, the, the best way possible. And and I remember um, actually just still being back in university and overhearing a conversation with another um, uh, another um, student with a, with a lecturer and they were saying that they had a shift worker and, you know, what can we do from a night shift um, perspective? And I, I heard this lecturer say, well, don't they? shouldn't they just flip their meals? Like, shouldn't they just flip them the other way around as if, you know, having their lunch at midnight and so forth? And I didn't get involved with the conversation. It's not I didn't think it was my, you know, my area and, and everything, but it definitely made me kind of think and thought that does not sound like a right recommendation purely because, um, you know, our body's not geared for nighttime energy and nutrient consumption. As human beings, we are diurnal; we're not nocturnal. So, there's even been research that has actually shown um, animal research, or there's more and more um, uh, human trials coming out, where they what they did is they took these rats and they were both given um, the same amount of calories um, and food and nutrients, just split up into two different um, areas. And so same amount of food, same amount of calories, but the only difference was when they ate. So Mm. from the rat perspective, they're nocturnal, so they're kind of the opposite of us. Those that gained weight were those that actually were given the food during the day, which is the opposite to them.
0: Right. Same amount
1: of food, same amount of calories. You know, we can get stuck on the calorie equation. Um, But the only difference was when they ate. And I think this is a big thing, Um, obviously, with a lot of the talks that I run is is a big focus around what I talk about because we're not nine-to-fivers. We do things very, very differently. And when we work 24-7, because we tend to eat 24-7, it can set us up over time to a lot of these chronic health conditions that we're talking about. I mean, we know gastric emptying slows right down during the night time, um, kidney function slows down, pancreatic beta cell function slows right down. Like a, And this I remember, gosh, when I read this, um, uh, first, first started to kind of learn more about it, I had this massive big light bulb moment I'm going oh my god like ship workers are so prone to you know insulin resistance pre-diabetes type 2 diabetes we know that they're not eating great food but because of it it's but it's when they're eating <laughs> and just knowing if I can just share to some one other night shift staff knowing that your pancreas is not able to produce as much insulin to get that blood sugar down during the night Is so important to understand when you're sitting down there eating a lot of hamburgers and donuts and high-carbohydrates food. So you can just see how we really are set up dangerously um, if we're not um, taking into consideration the food timing.
0: Yeah, definitely, because we speak about fasting quite a lot. And so if we think about Mm. that through the lens of shift workers, so they're not, um, having any break for their digestion to stimulate autophagy, yeah. which is that beautiful you yeah. know, spring clean of the body for any potential dead and disease like cells, and then of course yeah they 're really not ever fasting, so metabolically they 're heading mm-hmm. in the wrong direction, which is a huge underlying cause of many of our avoidable but chronic lifestyle diseases in the west so To me, it's sounding like we're going to be eating low-carb when we are working at night. Am I right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's usually the opposite. And I know um, if we've got any nurses listening, uh, you know, my sister's a nurse, I've got a lot of friends that are nurses, but I know that I know the inside of those hospital wards in the lunchroom, there is usually a lot of comfort foods going on. Um, Because
0: they're on the go. They don't sit down to eat, do they?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, but during the night, they again, it's that I'm not getting sleep, so I'm gonna need energy, I'm gonna eat carbohydrates. So they get drawn to it, but it's, yeah, it's, um, if you can flick it to some more proteins and healthy fats, obviously that's gonna to help to, you know, numb down those sugar cravings and help them feeling a bit fuller, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely.
0: I love that. And um, with the whole concept of chrononutrition, like, yeah, it's still obviously an emerging area of science, but I think it's extremely relevant because it does circle back to that self-care. And I think education is is where it's at so understanding a little bit more about you know timing of nutrients and those simple things that you share with us around how your body is so different when it's dark like those circadian rhythms are there for a reason but putting food in your body when it's dark when it's nighttime is telling your body that it's daytime <laughs> so it's really kind of throwing things upside down but then at the same time you're really not primed to be digesting and assimilating your food
1: oh absolutely and you've you've, you've kind of nailed it there Steph We've, we know that sunlight is um a big uh or light and darkness are our big you know um regulators of our circadian rhythms so that you know when we get plenty of um you know sunlight it dampens down melatonin and kind of rever- and, and vice versa but what you were just said before exactly eating during the night is another way of disrupting that circadian rhythm. And it's our circadian rhythms, our bodies are already biologically stressed, unfortunately, right, to the, on a cellular level just because of the circadian disruption. But are we making it worse by eating at the wrong times as well as, yeah, sleeping at the wrong times as well?
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Like, if we look at the work from Dr. Sachin Panda, we really oh, yeah. see that the the food is turning on hormones and yeah, these processes that are supposed to be happening only during the day. And so the flow on effect of that, I don't think we truly understand yet because we don't have the you know the longer term randomized controlled trials or anything. But we can yeah start to see how this links. To the issues with insulin resistance and um, those, those associated long-term conditions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm a you know having been trained in science as well. You know, obviously, I'm a big, big believer in the whole evidence-based um, medicine approach. It's definitely you know what we do as as kind of clinicians. But at the same time, I I think we need to bring back the common sense is not common practice terminology as well because a lot of that is actually um you know can be a big driver behind you know some of the outcomes that we that we're not um you know that we're, that we're seeing but i don't think we have the time to sit around and wait until that optimal randomized control trial okay. to tell us what's what deep down i think we already know is the right thing to do we literally have not got time we've got too many people that are you know, going down the, the poor health road very fast because they're not given, um, yeah, the education around this. I
0: oh, know, I couldn't agree more. Like we're, we're always about seven years in front of the science. So one of my pet hates is when someone's trying to rebut you and they, they say, you know, where's the science? And I'm like, well, if we wait mm-hmm. for the science... You know, we've spent seven years getting more sick or more unhealthy or following more incorrect information. So I love that you've mentioned that. I think there's certainly enough evidence for us to learn how to, you know, improve our health as a shift worker and therefore extend our career longevity but ultimately, you know, our our longevity in general so that we aren't falling into those statistics of yeah that you're going to take 10 years off your life because of your um, employment status.
1: Exactly yeah career longevity is important it's you know why I think you know a lot of people do start to seek out their health but then it it also kind of even goes further than that in in regards to you know do you want to be healthy overall do you want to be able to run with your kids and um, you know and, and not become prematurely sick, do you, want to, you know, if you sleep better, I know that it, uh, our emotional empathy declines. There's even research on that. But we don't even need to know the research around that. Is that when we don't have enough sleep, we tend to say and do things we wouldn't ordinarily do, which can have catastrophic effects on our relationships over the long term. So, um, yeah, it's, we definitely need to be looking at the research, but we need to be sort of just, I think, standing back, big picture here. Okay, what is blindingly obvious that's not happening? (laughs) Um, What can we start to do? And, and, you know, we know from, you know, know, working with clients, um, behavioral change comes about from small steps, one at a time one at a time because if you overwhelm people with too much information it sends them into a bit of a paralysis and um even more stress and anxiety and then it's likely to um you know change their behavior but if we can just ed- educate and, um, and, and meet people where they are which i'm sure um is what you do in your own uh, clinical practice stuff, is yeah meeting people where they are and then kind of working with them that way Absolutely. It really is
0: meeting the client where they are. And, you know, maybe it is just making one simple change, but the flow and effect of that is going to be huge. So I think we tend to look at things in isolation, but Mm. taking that broader view, you know, if you simply take out one really refined carbohydrate or Mm. more sugary meal that you go to and replace it with, you know, a smoothie that you've packed or a frittata that you've pre-made, like that's going to make the world of difference. Especially when we do look long term,
1: yeah, and brilliant, it's an excellent way to kind of come about it is to instead of changing your whole week's diet, which is going to be way, way too hard, um, yeah. Instead of having that uh, donut for breakfast that you or coffee and donut that you you know tend to have uh, each morning on your early shift, you know, just flick it around to maybe just every second or third day replacing it to having some overnight oats that you can bring in or you know chia seed puddings that you know you can bring in just little things um that will um you know begin to start to kind of make a difference and make them feel better yeah
0: love it so i'd love to hear more about your book tell us what it's called and yeah what inspired it and where we can learn more
1: yeah so um I had a dream or a, lot, a bit of a long-term vision for, you know, about 10 years that I wanted to write a book. and And because there is no book out there and I know that when I was working shift work, I was desperately searching for a book. To help me to navigate this incredibly challenging occupation, um, but I couldn't find one. You know, there's loads of books on nutrition and exercise and sleep, generic generic information, but it's not specific for shift workers. And because we are a bit of a different breed, <laughs> um, and we certainly certainly uh, you know come across a lot of um, different uh, challenges. So. I yeah I kind of had this goal to write it. It certainly, uh, it probably took me about six years from beginning to end for various different reasons. A bit of stop-start going on. A bit of you know my own self-doubt. Oh my god, who am I to write a book? <laughs> you know that kind of um, that sort of thing kind of went on. But then I've you know I just had some really good um, you know coaching, business coaching on myself, and they were really getting you know Audrey, you've got because they'd um, you know half-read my book. Actually, and I'll give a special shout-out to Marcus Pierce, who so you know, Steph. Um, uh, Marcus sort of started to begin parts of my original um, draft of my book and he kept being on my case about, when are you going to get the book out? When are you going to get the book out? She workers need to read this book. Um, so, yeah, uh, and the more workshops that I was running, the more I kind of realised, oh, my God, people don't know this stuff. I really do need to get um, this book published. So the title of it is called too tired to cook because a lot of us most of us ship workers are too tired to cook the ship workers guide to working and surviving in a 24 7 world it is not a cookbook though i just want to kind of put it out there a lot of people automatically think that it is going to be um, a cookbook i do have recipes at the back of it um, for early shifts um you know how to stop sugar cravings and you know uh, recipes for night shift and everything but it is a very Um, holistic take on shift work. I share my own personal story, some of the reasons why I struggled, and then I talk about really what I regard as the five biggest struggles around shift work. And, of course, they will stem from fatigue, but um, the first one is that sleep deprivation or disruption, the weight gain and the weight fluctuations, the stress the anxiety, the mental health struggles that we face, um, a poor immune system uh, and relationship strain. I really kind of come at it from all different angles because this is the stuff that I have struggled with myself and I know that a lot of my clients are. And it's really designed um, to be a book. It is written definitely for shift workers. One From one shift worker to another it's written, but it's also written for people who have Family members or who have friends that are shift workers that kind of want to know why they act and behave the way that they do, um, and it's also designed to be a bit of a complement for healthcare practitioners as well. So um, just so that they give them an additional resor- resource. We know um, we, we're always going to give our own individual um, um, sort of a prescription um, in what in our in what we do. But sometimes it's just kind of good just to have that extra resource um, that you could recommend um, for anyone that works as shift worker because I, I just talk about all of these, um, these kind of areas. And, it, again, it's a bit of a, it's trying to be a bit of a lifeline and a bit of a, um, just to help to know that somebody does care and um, there are ways around it. It's not easy. It's hard. Um, and I would never say that it is easy, but there is certainly um, the, uh, ways that we can approach it. I love it. Well done. I appreciate
0: how, you know, there's always that sort of initial barrier and writing a book is like a pregnancy of its own. <laughs> it's like birthing a baby <laughs> of some description. But um, I think it's obviously a really needed resource and like you said if if there was nothing else so it's so incredible that you've released your baby into the world and that others can learn so much more so tell us about your um online home your podcast and where we can keep hearing more from you Audra
1: Yes, yeah, so I guess the best place to find me is just on my website. Um, it's www.healthyshiftworker.com or you can follow me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook page called The Healthy Shift Worker and also uh, Instagram. Um, and also, as you mentioned, um, I do have my um, podcast called um, The Healthy Shift Worker also on the Wellness Couch.
0: Wonderful. So all of the links will be in the show notes as always. Thank you so much for joining me today, Audra. It was so great to speak to you.
1: Thanks, Steph. It was lovely to talk to you as well. Thanks for having me. Thank you
0: so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel.